It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Wednesday, August 11th, 2021. I'm Kelly Reese and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. On tonight's California Report, Butte County's District Attorney investigates possible drone interference of firefighting aircrafts during the Dixie Fire's crucial first hours. And tonight's report closes with a look into three cases in which police killed California residents. We'll take a brief look at local headlines and weather before Felton Pruitt speaks to Taylor Wolf from Nevada County's Office of Emergency Services. Then, Al Stoller directs our gaze towards the night sky to end this evening's newscast. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. The Dixie Fire has now burned more than 500,000 acres across Plumas, Butte, Lassen, and Tehama counties. But crews are starting to get a better handle on the massive blaze. Containment is now up to 30 percent, and all evacuation orders in Butte County were reduced to evacuation warnings yesterday afternoon. Cal Fire Captain Brian Newman says they're still seeing some spotting, but it's not as extreme as before. We had growth to the northwest, we had growth to the southeast, and off to the northeast as well. All of that is driven by the the fuels and the topography with really light winds that is being driven and steered by that topography. The forecast for today calls for more smoke over much of the fire zone, meaning some areas will see much cooler temperatures. But temperatures are expected to rise and humidity will fall in the coming days. Overall, the fire has destroyed more than a thousand structures, including hundreds of homes. Meanwhile, the Butte County District Attorney is investigating whether a drone that reportedly interfered with firefighting aircraft in the crucial first hours of the Dixie Fire was operated by Pacific Gas gas and electric or one of its contractors. District Attorney Mike Ramsey says the drone flying over the fire on July 13th may have prevented Cal Fire aircraft from stopping the blaze when it had just burned an acre or two. In other news, Kern County, the center of California's petroleum industry, is suing the state over the governor's fracking ban. Calling the ban overzealous, reckless, and unconstitutional, the Board of Supervisors voted yesterday afternoon to authorize the lawsuit. Here's Supervisor Philip Peters. Today, in closed session, the Kern County Board of Supervisors voted 4-1 to with Supervisor Perez voting no to authorize a lawsuit against the state of California for Governor Newsom's recent unilateral decisions to violate the Constitution by directing state agencies to stop implementing legislation directing the safe and environmentally protective production of oil and gas resources in the state of California and principally here in Kern County. The time for talk appears to be over based on the governor's recent actions. The time for our county's response is now. Peter says the region would be devastated without the oil industry. Statewide, the industry employs about 152,000 people and is responsible for more than $152 billion in economic output, according to a 2019 study. Governor Newsom announced the fracking ban in April, saying California needs to move beyond oil to create a healthier future. Newsom's office has not responded to requests for comment on the lawsuit. Turning to the pandemic, beginning today, any visitor 
doctor who wants to see someone at a hospital, skilled nursing home facility, or immediate care center in California will have to show proof of full vaccination or a negative COVID-19 test within 72 hours of their visit. Health facilities must also maintain records of vaccination status or negative test results of visitors. The mandate applies only to inpatients, those who are admitted and are staying overnight, but not to outpatients, dropping by for medical procedures and then returning home. The requirement was issued as part of the State Department of Public Health's order requiring that all workers at healthcare facilities be fully vaccinated by the end of September. Support for the California Report comes from the law firm Perkins Coie, a trusted legal advisor to innovative companies and industry leaders throughout California and the world. Learn more at PerkinsCOIE.com. Paint Care, now with 800 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at PaintCare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. An activist in far northern California's Siskiyou County is recovering after holding a hunger strike for nearly three weeks. As we hear from the California Report's Mary Franklin Harvin, the protest started after police shot and killed a Hmong man during a wildfire evacuation in June. Shengleng Kao He was evacuating the lava fire when police shot him. Officers say they fired when He ignored a roadblock and pointed a gun at them. Activist Zerg Zong initiated his strike because he wanted transparency from law enforcement on the circumstances surrounding He's death. The whole purpose of this movement, the whole purpose of this hunger strike was just for the truth. Uh, We weren't demanding the immediate arrest and criminalization of the police officers involved. We weren't demanding an entire uh, mobilization against Siskiyou County government. We wanted the truth. In Siskiyou County, Hmong cannabis farmers in particular have complained for years about discrimination by law enforcement. And Zong says this shooting was a breaking point. Now that a lot of the uh, police nationally are being held accountable for a lot of the egregious, excessive use of force and uh, discriminatory police tactics, we want that to happen in Siskiyou County as well. Siskiyou County Sheriff Jeremiah LaRue has told local press that video footage of the incident will not be released until an investigation is completed. Zong ended his strike on July 23rd after the state attorney general's office agreed to review requests to investigate the shooting. In an emailed statement, the AG's office told the California Report that AG involvement in this case will likely only occur in an exceptional circumstance, like a conflict of interest on the part of local law enforcement. For the California Report, I'm Mary Franklin Harbin. The State Department of Justice says it will investigate and review a case in which a Tustin police officer in Orange County fatally shot a man this week. The incident occurred on Monday morning after officers responded to a report of a suspicious person near a home. Police have said the man was advancing on officers when he was shot and killed. The DOJ's authority to investigate cases like these falls under a law that went into effect July 1st, allowing the department to review police shootings involving unarmed people for potential criminal liability. Tustin police say they will cooperate with an independent investigation. 
The Bay Area city of Pleasanton will pay nearly $6 million to the family of Jacob Bauer, who died after being tased, punched, and restrained by several city police officers in 2018. But the settlement is more than financial. In an unusual turn, it requires the chief of police to attend a listening session with the Bauer family. Bauer had struggled with mental illness. His parents had notified the Pleasanton Police Department of their son's condition out of concern he would be hurt or killed if he encountered law enforcement. They hope the department will hear their concerns and, according to their lawyer, change how it approaches people with mental illnesses. And that is the California Report for Wednesday, August 11th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening and have a good day. The Glen Fire is currently burning in Yuba County. At 3.31 p.m., Ubinet reported a vegetation fire on Marysville Road near Willow Glen, Browns Valley. A possible car accident may have sparked the fire. Around 4 p.m., Air Attack reported a 30 to 40 acre blaze with significant long-range spotting. Yuba County Zone E094 is under evacuation. Additional evacuations may be forthcoming. High-low sirens are being employed to alert residents. As of 4.45 p.m., the fire is at 0% containment. At around 1.36 this afternoon, firefighters and sheriff's deputies responded to a vegetation fire on Purden Road. The fire, estimated to be half an acre in size, was on the Nevada City side of the river and triggered the evacuation of the Purden Crossing parking lot. Heavy traffic poured out of the canyon as aircrafts and engines waited for recreationists to leave. Slightly before 2, forward progress was stopped. This reported by both Ubinet and the Union of Grass Valley. Today at a quarter past noon, the Iowa fire broke out in Robbers Ravine in the Colfax area. By 12.30, an evacuation warning for a half-mile radius from the railroad tracks was issued for those in the Robbers Ravine and Dusty Road area. Resources from the river fire were being diverted to fight the three-acre blaze. The Iowa fire is reported as 100% contained and all residents under evacuation can now return to their homes. All areas have been reopened, as reported by Ubinet. The Nevada County Fair kicks off today and will run through this Sunday. In a joint statement from the Nevada County Fair, Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital, Nevada County Public Health Department, and other health leaders, attendees are urged to wear masks both indoors and outdoors regardless of vaccination status. The statement adds anyone 65 and over, those with compromised immune systems, and those with underlying health conditions should consider not attending the fair this year. In addition, quote, anyone who is in isolation due to a positive COVID-19 test or is in quarantine due to an exposure to someone who has tested positive must not attend the fair. The Nevada County Fair has taken extraordinary measures to protect the health of all fairgoers. We ask that exhibitors, vendors, and visitors do their part to prevent further COVID-19 infections, hospitalizations, and deaths during this unprecedented time, end quote. August 13th and 14th, Colfax Elementary School will host a local assistance center for those affected by the river fire. Available information and resources will include essential document replacement, property tax adjustments, housing and social services, grief counseling and initial building services consultations, among others. The center will be open from 10 to 7 on Friday, 10 to 6 Saturday. Residents of both Nevada and Placer County may also call 211 for the latest information and available resources to support their recovery. 
Caltrans is set to resume construction on the 174 highway widening project between Ubet Road and Maple Way in Nevada County following the recent river fire incident. As of Thursday, August 12th, one-way traffic control will resume for daytime construction work between 6 a.m. and 7 p.m. Motorists are advised to anticipate 20-minute delays when traveling through the construction zone area. The California professor suspected of a string of arsons near the 500,000-acre Dixie Fire was ordered Wednesday to remain in jail as a flight risk and danger to the community, reports the Sacramento Bee. Assistant U.S. Attorney Michael Anderson urged Gary Stephen Maynard remain jailed because of the potential threat he poses. Maynard was arrested Saturday after a string of fires that federal investigators were tracking throughout Northern California in recent weeks. Maynard is charged with starting one fire, the Ranch Fire, in the Lassen National Forest, but is suspected in a string of arsons in Northern California near the massive Dixie Fire. Court papers describe Maynard as a college lecturer who worked at Santa Clara University, Sonoma State University, and other institutions. Dave McQueen, a longtime voice in Bay Area radio and former KCBS radio anchor, died on Sunday. He was 78 years old. McQueen began broadcasting in the 1960s in his native Texas, eventually joining underground Bay Area radio station, Quezon. He was a fixture on the region's radio dials until his retirement in 2009, also working for KKSF, KFRC, and KKCY, among other stations. McQueen was inducted into the Bay Area Radio Hall of Fame in 2010. And now for regional weather and your air quality index. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, mostly clear with a low around 69. Tomorrow, sunny and hot with a high near 96. Current air quality is moderate with an AQI of 56. Tomorrow, unhealthy for sensitive groups with a potential AQI of 126. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, widespread haze and smoke with a low around 51. Tomorrow, isolated showers and thunderstorms after 2 p.m., Widespread haze and smoke as well, with a high near 89. Current air quality is unhealthy for sensitive groups, with an AQI of 149. Tomorrow, unhealthy, with a potential AQI of 163. The National Weather Service has issued a warning for hazardous weather conditions for the Truckee Tahoe region. Wildfire smoke from the Dixie Fire and other wildfires west of the Sierra will continue to produce smoke and haze. In addition, temperatures will be around 100 degrees for many of the hotter valleys and close to 90 in Sierra communities. Several days of heat, along with the smoke, may exacerbate heat health symptoms. And for our friends to the south in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, partly cloudy with a low around 67. Tomorrow, mostly sunny and hot with a high near 99. Current air quality is moderate with an AQI of 54, Tomorrow, moderate with a potential AQI of 73. Up next, Felton Pruitt speaks to Taylor Wolf from the Nevada County Office of Emergency Services. This Friday and Saturday, Colfax Elementary School will serve as a local assistance center, providing resources such as document replacement, property tax adjustment, and grief counseling for those affected by the river fire. We're talking with Taylor Wolf from the Nevada County Office of Emergency Services. We wanted to talk to you, Taylor, real quick about the local assistance center that you're opening up this weekend for two days. 
Yes, thank you, Felton. We are, our Office of Emergency Services in Nevada County is opening up a local assistance center for fire survivors from the River Fire that started last Wednesday. It is a joint local assistance center between Placer and Nevada County. As folks know, um, the River Fire did cross over right in between our two county lines near Colfax and South County of Nevada County. So the location is going to be at Colfax Elementary School at 24825 Ben Taylor Road in Colfax. And we're going to open that up both Friday and Saturday, this Friday from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m., hopefully catching some of those evening hours. So if folks are getting off work, they can stop by, um, you know, between 5 to 7 or 6 to 7, whatever works for them. And then again on Saturday at from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. So that's Friday, 10 a.m. to 7 p.m., Saturday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Uh, and really what our local assistance center aims to do is um, follow up to provide support for fire survivors after a major disaster happens, such as the river fire. So we'll have resources there um, for people who were impacted by the river fire, and that includes local support resources, state support resources. Cal OES is helping us set up uh, this local assistance center and federal and nonprofit agencies. Uh, typically, the type of services people will see is essential document replacement, property tax adjustments, housing and social services, grief counseling, and initial building service consultation, as well as some of those nonprofit services that you might see in our community as well. Uh, we are very lucky here in Nevada County to have the Nevada County Relief Fund, um, which only a day or two after the river fire started launched a river fire fund. Uh, to date, that has raised tens of thousands of dollars that will be going directly back to fire survivors. So different resources from federal, state, local, all the way to nonprofits will be available for our River Fire survivors. And we hope that folks come to connect with us and start getting the information they need on the road to recovery. If folks are not able to make it, we encourage them to reach out to us. You can find a lot of the information you need to get started on that recovery process on our website at readynevadacounty.org slash recovery. And you can also find information to contact our Office of Emergency Services there if you have any questions. I have a question for you, Taylor. Let's say you were affected by the river fire, you don't have a place to live, and you didn't have insurance. Now, people had insurance. Hopefully, their insurance companies are paying for hotels or whatever. What kind of assistance can people get if they don't have a place to stay and have no other options? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we work really, really closely with the American Red Cross during major emergency events like this. So I would encourage folks to reach out to to us or the American Red Cross. American Red Cross has a 1-800 number to help with this type of assistance. And we are collecting information on our website. Um, if you then go again to readynevadacounty.org slash recovery. There's a nice big button at the top of the page that's orange right now that says sign up for information on the recovery process. Currently, we are building out a list of contact information from folks who were impacted by the river fire, and we'll be using that to work with the American Red Cross, our Department of Social Services, 
to make sure folks are connected to the resources they need. You know, a lot of this information we already have from folks who were at our shelters, but of course, you know, we want to capture anyone who maybe stayed with a friend for a couple of days and wasn't at our shelters as well. If anyone is looking for immediate housing placement and was displaced by the river fire, the best way to get connected with those services is by dialing 1-833-DIAL-211 to let 211 Connecting Point know of your needs. And that goes for housing or any social service needs as well. Um, Our social services department is actively monitoring and looking at those resource requests and matching them with resources we have available for fire survivors. Well, gee, thanks for all the information. We've been talking with Taylor Wolf from the Nevada County Office of Emergency Services, and we've got the Local Assistance Center happening Friday and Saturday at the Colfax Elementary School. Thank you, Felton. The forecast for Wednesday night is partly cloudy, which also means partly clear. Good enough to check out this sky event described by Al Stoller. Toss a ball upward. Catch it as it comes down. You're not just playing with a ball now. You're playing with gravity. A juggler, three, four, five balls in the air at once. A juggler is really good at playing with gravity. Our sun juggles thousands of objects at once. Planets and moons, asteroids and comets. A human juggler has to be super careful the balls don't crash into each other. The sun, not so much. Millions of years ago, a humongous chunk of rock slammed into Mexico and wiped out the dinosaurs. Earth is billions of years old. Most of the objects that cross our orbit have already smashed into us. But some remain. Comets are ginormous chunks of ice. Smashing into a chunk of ice does not sound so serious until you realize that a comet, a couple dozen miles across, is a massive chunk of ice. The biggest crash threat to Earth that we know of is Comet Swift-Tuttle. Swift-Tuttle is big, and it crosses our orbit at 130,000 miles an hour. We cross orbits with Comet Swift-Tuttle once every year, in the middle of August. Comet Swift-Tuttle last came close to Earth some 30 years ago, and will not be back for another century. But that does not mean there's nothing to see when we cross orbits with Swift-Tuttle this Wednesday night. Comets are not made of pure ice. Comet ice is mixed with rock dust. Close to the sun, the ice turns to gas, and the dust blows off. That dust, blowing off into space, paints the comet's tail. That blown-off rock dust stays in orbit around the sun, the same orbit as the comet. So every August, when Earth crosses orbits with Comet Swift-Tuttle, we cross this stream of rock dust, rock dust that slams into our atmosphere at 130,000 miles an hour. The dust makes the air light up in a meteor shower. The Perseid meteor shower, rock dust coming off Comet Swift-Tuttle, arrives this Wednesday night as soon as the sky grows dark. Like most meteor showers, the Perseids usually get better after midnight. The Perseid meteor shower, named for the constellation Perseus, 
is usually the best meteor shower of the year. But don't expect fireworks. You might see one meteor, then another, then nothing for a minute or more. The best plan is to simply enjoy the outdoors, the night sky, and whatever meteors you see, that's great. The Perseid Meteor Shower, this Wednesday night. For KVMR, I'm Al Stoller. That's our newscast for tonight, Wednesday, August 11th, 2021. We get support from Sierra View Medical Eye, Inc., serving Nevada County's eye care needs since 1965, providing optical services, cataract, and glaucoma evaluations, also treating diseases of the eye. Sierra College Drive, Grass Valley, svme2020.com, and California Solar, local B Corp. employee-owned solar co-op in Grass Valley, working to balance profit and purpose, specializing in residential and commercial solar systems, including battery backup systems, cal-solar.coop. Coming up at 6.30 is The Sages Among Us. Then at 7, we bring you Democracy Now! with host Amy Goodman. Thanks for listening. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off.